1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts. So you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
0: It looks like in Monsters Inc. You know when Randall pops up and disappears. What and is f-
2: with Randall? Like, why are you? <laughs> oh. Oh, no. I don't
0: know. I have a I I feel like any oh, there's a Monsters there Inc. reference for anything.
2: It's the same reference you keep making though.
0: Is that even a new reference? He's very versatile.
2: Welcome to Oddball. I hope you all had a wonderful weekend. Tonight, we'll be sitting down with Chris Dillon and Rob Ford, the co directors of Goliath, the Showtime docuseries following the life of Wilt Chamberlain. But first, the headlines.
0: Thanks, Amin. Last Friday, the NBA sent a memo to all 30 teams regarding the rhetoric on the trade request made by Damian Lillard and his agent, Aaron Goodwin. The memo read, recent media reports stated that Damian Lillard's agent, Aaron Goodwin, called multiple NBA teams to warn them against trading for Lillard because Lillard... Holy s***, this thing's long. Do I have to to read all of this? Like, do we even have time for this? Who? Jesus. According to Mark Stein, Team USA is continuing to pursue Joel Embiid for the 2024 Olympics. Just like Embiid's wedding, there was no invitation for James Harden.
2: Yeah, we ever get to the bottom of that?
0: No, it, it, journalism takes a long time. You got to be patient. It would also be the first time since 1884 that the French relinquished someone so tall to America.
2: The Nazis Anna de agreed on a new deal to return to the Milwaukee Bucks. Agreed to a deal? (laughs) What was that negotiation like? (laughs) like, uh, I want 20 million dollars. We'll give you (sighs) a minimum. Accept your counter reluctantly. (laughs) What about this one? Guys, I'm ready for another trip around the sun. Let's do it, baby. Yeah, about that. (laughs) <laughs> oh, hey, hey, happy to do it again, baby. <laughs> the nasus can't have enough of you around. Uh-huh. The Los Angeles Lakers agreed to a two-year, two-way contract with someone named Fudge. <laughs> Guess no word yet whether Ramon and Bezos are coming along, huh?
0: <laughs> is that is that a Beverly Cleary joke?
2: You bet your a- it is.
0: I underestimated you, I mean. Uh, are you sure they didn't fudge the numbers?
2: You're better than that, Charlotte.
0: Uh, Former LA Clippers guard Baron Davis believes James Harden would be a good addition to the team. I think that would be dope, Davis said. The Clippers need another playmaker, somebody who can get fouled, slow the game down. Kawhi, playoff P, Russ, Harden. What could possibly go wrong? Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. I am being told everything could possibly go wrong.
2: In an interview with CBS's 60 Minutes, Charles Barkley revealed that he and Michael Jordan still haven't spoken to each other in years over a beef stemming from Barkley's criticism of Jordan's track record as a
0: team exec and owner. Barkley said, You can't be great at something. Like, that doesn't get it right to be a jerk.
2: You think you'll resolve this eventually? Uh,
0: He got my number. Which is sure to up the chances of a reconciliation with the famously forgiving Michael Jordan.
2: Charles Barkley doubling down on beef. Who could have saw that coming?
1: Oh, come on! Really?
2: (laughs) That's good-natured fun, come on. Jordan Poole has removed all traces of his Warriors tenure from his Instagram profile. In response, the Warriors are attempting to remove all traces of Jordan Poole's performance last season from their memories.
0: A video of Tyler Hero working out recently went viral and has some Heat fans debating the Damian Lillard trade look if all it takes is a video of tyler hero shooting a bunch of threes to make heat fans doubt dame then y'all are a bunch of dummies uh sorry sorry please still let me into the kaseya center julius irving released his all-time top 10 nba players list I always argue with my son where Tim Duncan belongs, Dr. J said, and he's like, he belongs ahead of Carl Malone for sure. I'm taking Carl Malone in that last position. I like Tiny Archibald. Ah, uh, no respect to the doctor. This list is its own joke. I'm, I'm not even going to try to make one.
2: Dr. J went on to criticize today's NBA stars for demanding trades and forming super teams. it just where a star player on a team is like... Um. Screw this city and all that support that they've given me, and I'm going. I'm going south. I'm going to Florida, or I'm going to LA, or I'm going to Texas, or I'm going somewhere else. So, you know, these decisions and their business decisions, right. I understand, right? Or whatever, but they have not helped the game. And they have not helped to keep the parity within the game. I know the internet is loud and angry at the Hall of Famer, but I, for one, stand in solidarity with the good doctor. The super team phenomenon is very, very bad, and it does not help keep parity within the game. I can't stress how new this phenomenon is, a product of modern athlete avarice. I also can't think of anything worse than great Hall of Fame caliber players switching teams in the primes of their careers, and certainly nothing as bad as a reigning MVP getting signed and traded to a team that had been to the finals in two of the last three seasons. Abominable. They should put an asterisk next to that title team. Just ruin the game. NBA Reddit coming up next. But first, shout out to Drake, Aubrey Graham, fan of our show. I like it.
0: Wait, what? Drake watches our show? Damn right, look at this. He's
2: wearing the San Diego Conquistadors Wilt Chamberlain jersey. Last week on this show, we talked about getting ABA merch made and sent. Authentic ABA merch. Charlotte, we are changing hearts and minds.
0: You really love to see it. I mean, also, whoever sent him this, can you please send him? Can you please send us merch?
2: Yeah, Metalark Media. We're at the Elser Hotel, downtown Miami. That's all you got to do. Just put it in there, care of Oddball.
0: We'll We'll check the mail. We have our favorite segment for you guys right now. We still don't know what to call it. I mean, what are you calling it right now?
2: Uh, That segment where we read things off of NBA Reddit and watch the other person react. That's the whole title of
0: it. Okay, cool. Well, I have one for you. Okay. Are you excited? I'm lovely. They're usually pretty fun. Gotta unlock my phone. Okay. Okay. Who is the worst player in the NBA if you include playing time? In other words, which player contributes to losing the most? Who has the most inefficient scoring, bad defense, is turnover prone, and makes boneheaded decisions? There are a lot of bad players, but most of them barely get to play, so they don't usually have the opportunity to contribute to losing. If you account for playing time, who is the worst player?
2: Okay, this is one where I need to do some research. Okay. that's Because that, that's gonna take me a while to think of. Yeah. But let me, I can record this little bit p- p- right here. Typically, the worst player by that metric mm-hmm. is a guy who plays a lot mm-hmm. for the worst team. Oh. That's, a, uh, that's a quick shortcut. Okay. So I would think about Detroit. Mm-hmm. I would think about San Antonio. I would think about Houston. And uh, yeah, I think those are like the three front runners as far as the worst teams in the league.
0: And do you think that that means that player is necessarily bad, or do you think it just means they don't have the tools and the the people surrounding them that they need?
2: Uh, every player, by the way, is... 99% of the players in the NBA are very dependent on the infrastructure around them. Yeah. What their teammates are, what their coach is, what they try to use them as, what they themselves understand about who they are in this grand scheme of things, and the accountability. 98 percent of nba players i think could look really good in one situation and really bad in another and it's just all about the context then there are ones that are like it doesn't matter where you put me i'm always going to be awesome mm-hmm. it's like lebron and steph curry and kevin durant and then there are ones that are like you shouldn't be in the league um which you know it happens from time to time so but that's not what but this it's person, unlikely
0: that that guy's no, playing a lot
2: no that person is not that person right. is someone at the end of a bench uh, who's there for a favor, for example, yeah. right? Uh, I was going
0: to say it's a, a college coach's son, for example.
2: Or like the best friend of the player or perhaps the older or younger brother of the MVP of the league. Something like that.
0: Maybe just off the top of your head.
2: Maybe, right. So, but this question is asking who's the rotation, who's the worst yes. rotation player in the NBA? Uh,
0: we'll come back to yeah. you We'll come back to this one from somewhere else, from the multiverse. Amin's gonna travel for. The-
2: you, have, by the way, also I just want to point out, y'all gonna get my ass kicked because I'm gonna say, you know, you know, Bootsy Johnson or whatever, and then Bootsy's gonna see me and be like, well, I heard you say that about me. I'm at summer league. I'm playing right now, but when I'm done, I'm gonna come kick your ass.
0: I, I wish like- I could say it wasn't. I wish I could say it was by design because that would have been. We would have then filmed you film, with Bootsy.
2: Film noir. Who's Bootsy Johnson, by the way?
0: He is, it's actually a woman, and she is a bartender in an old Western movie.
2: No, 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 no. A woman bartender in the old (laughs) Western? Ridiculous. On Showtime right now is an amazing documentary series about the life and times of Wilt Chamberlain. It's called Goliath, and we're really happy to have the co-directors of the movie with us right here. Rob Ford, Chris Dillon, thanks a lot for joining us, guys. This is It's an incredible piece of work. I had the, the honor of being able to be at the premiere with you guys in Vegas where you guys showed part two. I got back to my hotel room and I binged all of it. Uh, Right after that. And it it is remarkable. I want to start with perhaps the most, I don't want to call it controversial, but one of the big things about this documentary that people are talking about is the use of AI to synthesize Wilt's voice saying Wilt's actual words. And uh, my question, I guess I thought to either one of you is whose idea was this? How did you guys come about? You know what we should do? We should have
3: Wilt do his own words. When Rob and I were given this task, we wanted to uh, help give Wilt that because Wilt died, you know, shortly thereafter, and it, it never happened. And as we were making this, obviously, we can't talk to Wilt. You know, we can't interview him and ask him about the personal things that we wanted to talk about. Uh, it's not just a basketball documentary. It's it's about you know his entire life and especially about the ways that he felt about the things that were important to him. So we hit upon the idea with uh, our supervising story producer, Chloe Boxer, of instead of using a narrator, we would let Wilt speak for himself through his writings and through his quoted text. And so we started that process. We we um, tried text on screen. Then we decided to cast a voice actor uh, who we brought in who has a voice similar to Wilt, you know, a very deep baritone. His name is Michael Kunda. And he performed Wilt's words for us. And... That really could have been it. And then I brought up the possibility that because Wilt wanted to have a voice in this and because he was Wilt, um, the technology now exists to essentially morph Michael's voice and his performance into Wilt's voice.
1: Once you hear his voice, it just became really 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 personal and then yeah we shared initially just the concept of like this is what we want to do with the family and and of course the time is brand new so folks are still kind of like don't quite get it but it sounds cool mm-hmm. and we're on board and it sounds like a fun idea so let's try it out and then they hear it you know in the, in the real thing and to be honest it was like for a, a lot of them it was difficult to determine the real thing, you know, from wow. the the re-speaker voice, which was really trippy. Wow. Um and, and that's a
3: testament they- to Michael too, you know, like like Michael worked on a performance, right? You know, yeah. of Wilt and Wilt's rhythms and Wilt's Wilt would emphasize certain words like "me," <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, that he saw in the archival. Like like Rob Rob uh, worked with Michael a lot, and and Michael, you know, is doing a performance. And, you know, it is um, and if the family didn't want to do it, that's just what we what we would have done.
0: You know, it, it worked so well. I, I think I went in skeptical about the A.I. just because I think I'm skeptical of robots in general. Um, and I was so impressed with how it brought the story to life the way you said. Another thing that I thought really brought the story to life was the shadow puppets, um, those the cutouts, mm-hmm. which gave it such a distinct feel. I hadn't seen that anywhere and and it was so effective i mean i felt like i was in those scenes even though they were all silhouettes how did you decide on that and and who's the artist who who made all of that
1: it was interesting how we got there because initially our whole goal and desire was for this entire film to be archive driven where you just live and archive verite in the spirit of like Cinna or Maradona mm-hmm. or like the Amy Winehouse documentary, those were sort of our initial references. Um and, and the hope was this footage and material would exist. And so when we started the process of you know excavation with respect to archive, um, unfortunately, it just didn't exist to the volume of being able to just live in that for the duration of the film. And then when we started interviewing people and we started doing research, the best stories that we were coming across literally had nothing visually to support them, be it footage, be it photography and still photos. I mean, it's literally just like, more mythical urban legend campfire type stuff. And it's like, but we have to be able to see and show something. And so we talked about several things. Abstract, the B- B-roll. We talked about hiring a seven foot person and putting the camera on their head so you can see the world through Wilton yeah Yeah, animation. like standard animation. Um, and you know what, what ultimately comes down to at the end of the day And most things in life is time and money, right? And so Mm -hmm. what could we do with the budget we had and the time we had schedule-wise? And this is where the manual cinema came into play. And the work is so cool and it's actually shadow puppets. It's not, you know, animation. And so, you know, we gather the line producer and we run the numbers to try and figure out how we can figure out if we can even pay for it. So we reach out, we pitch them. And they were super excited. It just became something really, really special. But everything in there is conscious, the silhouettes, the string, you know, that we decide to keep attached relative to narratives and people's story being controlled and even how Wilt was always. If if you know, we hope this comes across in a piece, but he was always tethered to the world where he was having this external dialogue of accept me, love me, you know, see me as human. And that was something that was super important to him.
2: He's kind of the forerunner for the outgoing NBA celebrity superstar, right? Someone who crosses over from the world of sports to popular culture. Uh, and obviously he went on and he made the movies and Conan and all that stuff. But really even before that, when he was just a basketball player, but clearly a personality, he is kind of a trailblazer in that way. I'm curious what you guys found as far as surprising examples of that, particularly given
3: the time period. I think he's more than the forerunner. I think he's the progenitor of all of this stuff. I mean, the goal in part was to reveal at every moment of this piece something new about Wilt that you didn't know or something that you thought you knew but there's a level of depth or nuance to it that you might not have been aware of and there's so many examples that that come to mind i'll just from episode one um there's two because Wilt was the first famous high school athlete of any sport and first nationally covered through the media he uh, was interviewed in his home when he was being recruited by colleges and there's a moment in the piece where he's answering the question from the interviewer about where have you gotten you know letters from? This is 1954, right? And he says, "Well, I've got them from all over I mean, you know, the east, the northeast, the west, the south." And there's this moment, this beat, and the interviewer goes, "The south," <laughs> because this is Jim Crow, right? You know, like the these are not integrated schools, and the fact that Wilt was so great. And so famous that he essentially challenged and broke the racism of segregation uh, in the South in schools where they had to choose between, you know, their racism and their desire not to give an opportunity like this to a black player and their greed. Because have you seen the guy dunk? Like he sells a (laughs) lot of tickets, you know, where it's like uh, greed wins, you know, and He had power and he was the first one to realize how much power he had and that talent gives you and exercised it. With all these projects, you
2: always have something where you're like, oh man, I got to fit this in and either because of time or it just doesn't fit the rest of the narrative of the documentary. It just can't make it in there. What's something that you guys felt like, oh my God, I, I wish we could fit this in.
3: This honestly, I mean, this could have, should have been Two more hours, you know, like like there's so much uh story around basketball and not basketball with will and even just being able to live longer in some of the things that you know we have where it's like ah there's there's more here. So uh one thing that's not in from a basketball standpoint is when he coached in the ABA. You know? Right. Uh, I know that uh I mean you are um I don't know if you're a fan of, of the movie Semi Pro, but of I know course. that you don't hate it. Uh, everybody love you know, everybody. Fascinating. Uh bit of well it's it's just fun you know he's he's choppering up to san diego for the conquistadors and he's coaching in barefoot (laughs) you know not 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 coming to any of the practices like there's a lot of fun there there's a lot more fun to be had with volleyball i think on a personal level the one that rob and i really wish could we could have gotten in but you just can't always get all the interviews you want in the time period that you have to do them, you know, is uh the reason why Wilt was close to Ike close to Ike Richmond, the owner that Rob referred to, who offered him a ownership stake, was that they had a personal relationship outside of, you know, him being the new owner of the of the Sixers. And when Ike, you know, uh traded for Wilt, got him from San Francisco, Wilt had nowhere to live. So Wilt lived in Ike's house uh with his family and like his kids for you know the remainder of that season of this is the Havlicek steals the ball season right so Wilt is living in Ike Richmond's spare room um and just hanging out with his kids and stuff you know there's a lot of really fun stories like of them playing cards together and you see this side of Wilt and you also understand their relationship why was Wilt so uh, attached and why did he love Ike Mm -hmm. you know the way that he did and you get a window into that and you know, from a there's just so much basketball stuff. There, there's so many things to get into that we don't really get a chance to unpack to the depth that you would love to.
0: There were some players, uh, former players, or, or coaches, or you know, these legendary figures that you interviewed for the film over 40 interviews. Um, who are who are the people that you know you felt the most excited to see, or even like a little starstruck to be talking to?
1: first i'd say uh pat riley was like the star wow <laughs> all of that magic you know sitting right in front of me and we're just talking basketball for almost two hours he was supposed to do a 60-minute interview and he hung around because he just was having a good time but my god is he an amazing storyteller and so just detailed and vivid with painting uh-huh. pictures um and he has such love Wilt. there was the gentleman Ray Scott, who is mm-hmm. a former player, the first um black coach of the year for the NBA. They're both from Philly, uh, as in Wilton and Ray, and they grew up together, um, you know, as young adolescent friends. Uh, his um, everything <laughs> like his stories, his perspective, his historical knowledge, and then just his poetic charismatic delivery that was one that was just like the most unexpected interview that gave us so much we got to talk to wilt sisters and the
3: stories that they told with it's such a different thing if we can't hear about him as a kid Mm -hmm. and those painful and beautiful things about like their mom their mom being worried about the fact because wilt had never been an athlete who looked like wilt who was rich and famous until he invented it. So like the fear that the family felt that like it's not going to work out for you. that's amazing. From a just an excitement standpoint, the logo, I got to talk to Jerry West and- um, Your
0: face, even when you just said that is like- (laughs) I mean, come
3: on. Like, you know, these are just moments in life that you have to check yourself and be like, I can't believe this is happening. He said, you know, Will is one of the most misunderstood people I ever knew. How was he most misunderstood? I mean, there are levels to that. Um, but there's the basketball side and the non-basketball side, you know, from a basketball standpoint, the narrative that depicted him as self-interested, completely numbers driven, indifferent to winning, um, and, uh, not clutch, like, you know, a loser, like those things are, you know, all in reference to the fact that his teams didn't win. That really bothered him and it hurt him that people looked at him that way and ignored the fact that, you know, he was putting in his team, his team's in a position to win a championship every single season, except for one. He never felt like people understood him. Man, I, I could
2: sit here literally for hours asking you millions of questions. We didn't even get to, you know, the archival footage that you do have is insane. Like the the national championship game at Kansas that they lost. I didn't even know that tape existed. And you guys had it with play-by-play. You guys have to check out this docuseries. It's on Showtime, three parts. It's called Goliath. Chris Dylan, Rob Ford, the co-directors, so gracious with your time. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's awesome. Thanks for watching Oddball. Up next, David Sampson's How to Crush the Working Man, a three-part series.
1: <laughs> you broke me without